Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump heads off to the G7 summit, but the White House says he's not going to stay long. (laughs) No, you know why? Because they don't want him there. (sighs) What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Yes, it is a Friday. Friday, June 8th, 2018. Great to see you today. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the program. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Here we go with all the news of the day as we wrap up the week. And uh, Donald Trump off to two huge, back-to-back, two huge events, two very, very important um, diplomatic events. The G7 meeting up in Quebec, uh, where he has uh, succeeded in pissing off everybody up there even before he gets there. So they're saying, we'll probably do a statement concluding statement by six nations and forget about the United States. And then he goes off to Singapore to sit down with the head of North Korea, having put by his own omission almost no forethought or no planning into it. It could be a colossal back-to-back disaster on the part of Donald Trump, probably will. Uh, We'll tell you all about it, what's leading up to it, plus the other news of the day. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours and inviting you to send your comments on the news of the day. Let us know what you think about what's going on and do so by going on Twitter and sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Lots to get into and we will get ready to go. But first, this is the Full Court Press. We didn't screw it up. We didn't screw it up. Washington, D.C., the Washington Capitals are the NHL 
Stanley Cup champions. All caps today. All caps, baby. Yep. Yes, indeed. It was the third period of last night's game. It was a tie game, 3-3, three to three, when Lars Eller. Michael Kempney now getting up the left side for Washington. Sending it back in along the left-hand side. 7.40 to go. Puck in front. Connolly with a chance. A shot. They score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! Eller gets the rebound and puts it home! That would oh, be the final man. score. 4-3. to three. That was the winning goal. Lars Eller putting the Capitals ahead in the third period. They won 4-3. to three. They won the series four games to one. Won four straight games. They lo- Remember, they lost that first yep. one. And yep. As you said. Yep. We'll give you one. We'll give you we'll take one. The rest. And then they took the rest. Yeah. They went on and won four in a row. Good plan. Uh, uh, Alexander. Coach Press. Alex- <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Alexander Ovechkin winning the Conn Smythe Trophy for the MVP of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin says it feels like a dream. I think it's just like a dream. You know, like. It was hard, long season. Um, we fight through it. Uh, we work so hard uh, through all all the, all the years, and uh, you know we we was together. It was uh, was a whole one team. All right, so there you go. That ends a sports drought here in Washington D.C. The last time that we had a championship was. 44 years ago. Well, that was the last time that there was a state. But uh, we won uh, the Super Bowl in 1992. The Washington football team won. So that was the last time that we had a championship uh, really? here in Washington, D.C. 92. Yeah. 92. I saw yeah. different figures this morning. Yeah, yeah, that was the last time. That, in a, for, for a national. Oh, I got uh, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Right. Yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. No. Uh, by the way, we, we haven't talked about this in a couple of days, but the, the lava from the Kilauea uh, volcano <laughs> continues to be a problem in Hawaii. 600 homes have been destroyed since it happened. Oh, and there'll be a lot more destroyed. And there will be a lot more. That's That was one of the points. That they said this is one of the worst things that they've ever seen out there, uh, and it's not going to get any better anytime really soon. It's It's going to be a real problem for them. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Pardon us while we gloat, but it is all caps day here in Washington, D.C. Hey, hello, everybody. Yep, the Stanley Cup is ours. Uh, I guess the plane didn't arrive yet or else we'd have it sitting right here in front of us in the studio. Great to see you today. Join the celebration. Uh, The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., home of the Washington Capitals, the Stanley Cup winners this year, uh, and our studio on Capitol Hill. Joining you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, we're with you with the news of the day. uh, And there's a lot of it. The president jetting off to uh, the G7 in uh, Canada, up in Quebec, and then heading off to Singapore for the big summit with Kim Jong-un. Yes, indeed. Uh, (laughs) Back-to-back big test for President Trump and his brand of diplomacy, which is basically to piss everybody off before he gets there. It looks like he's going to Canada to start a fight, not to sit down and solve any problems with our uh, allies in the uh, G7. 
as we come to you live, we are joining you on online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV and on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks. And how about it? Out there in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of uh, Chicago. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, great night last night. Hope you uh, got to see some of that game at any rate. Uh, between uh, the Caps and the Golden Knights. Uh, Peter, we were going through this a little er- a little earlier. 44 years ago, Washington started its uh, hockey team. Yeah. Has not had a title in all that time. In all that time. And, until and, last night. And yep. it's, it's also been a really rough road for them. I mean, they had a yeah. really hard time getting out of the first round of the playoffs in past right. years. Yep. Uh, they had a lot of heartbreak. They went way up and uh, uh, in some series and then ended up falling and losing. So, like, it's been a really hard road for Capitals fans. Yeah, it has. But, boy, are they loyal. And are they – they, they're the most energetic, enthusiastic fans I think I've ever seen. Hockey fans are – No, the, you're, yeah. you're exactly right. It's they're insane. crazy. In fact, there was, here's one fan. So the game ended a little bit after 11 o'clock last night. Yeah. I actually stayed up to watch, which is the first time I watched part of it. Didn't watch it. I didn't. Yeah, but. it's the first time I've ever watched an entire hockey game from start to finish. I've never done it before. Uh, but here's one fan who was like, uh, "We gonna go to work in the morning." I gotta get up for work real early, but this is like, <laughs> this has never happened before, and so I'm here to live in the moment and enjoy it. Yeah, and you know what? I'm proud of Washington. I mean, uh, we've seen in other cities where the team wins and then they. Burn buildings and burn police cars, whatever. <laughs> right, right, There's right. a huge celebration downtown, but from what I've seen, I haven't seen any. Nothing got any, burned. Huh? Nothing got burned. Nothing got Nothing burned. Nothing got no. destroyed. They didn't torch any sto- tor- stores or whatever. Yeah. But anyhow, 44 years uh, in the making for this uh, for this uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, it's 26 years since uh, any DC team won a champion won a won a champion in that in that particular sport in a major sport at any rate that's been a long but time get, coming for Washington that's a real serious drought yeah across the top of the uh, of the Washington Post this morning they have those numbers and then 15 is the other number 15 is the number of goals that Alex Ovechkin uh, scored in the playoffs this year uh the captain and uh he's had a long career and a tough one and there were people thought his career, they should have got rid of him, you know, at the beginning of the season. Well, he proved uh, he had at least one more good season in him. There was a really yeah. interesting moment uh, last night. They were interviewing the head coach uh, of the Capitals, Barry Trotz is his name, and, and he was talking about conversations that he was having with Alex Ovechkin at the beginning of the season because he's been here for like 14 years, right? And Yeah, had, yeah, had right. Never had, never had this much luck anyway. And he just said, hey, look, there are a lot of great players – who've never won a championship. And that's true. And that's true in any sport, right? Mm-hmm. You have like this amazing career and you never ever win a championship. And so his advice was just go out there and just be yourself. You're going to be a, like you're going to go in the Hall of Fame. You're going to go down as one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Just go out there and just play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said that for him, the Alex Ovechkin, for him that was the moment where he was just like we're going to go win something. Okay. We're going to yeah. go win something now. But I'm I'm going to play and I'm going to have fun. Yeah. But it is uh, it's it's uh, it's an incredible sport to watch, and you know, like we're used to so things being so polite in other sports, right? <laughs> no, with hockey, psh, I mean, they have these fights, and you think, oh man, everybody's going to get thrown out. No, the refs just say, "Yeah, exactly." Now, the ref, in fact, the refs are in the middle of most of the fights. Yeah, right? you know, 
Nice. I mean, there okay, were couple, get back to your corner. Come on, come on. Yeah, there were a couple of fights that broke out last night. Hmm? And then at the end of the game, they all line up and they go through and they shake hands. <laughs> I know, I and everybody's know. nice to each other. <laughs> and it was like, what the hell? It is. It's just business. Oh, man. It's another whole world. But, boy, it is really uh, taking off in terms of uh, popularity. Uh, yes, indeed. Back to the, uh, I wouldn't say the real world, but back to the world of uh, Trump land. Yeah, today uh, the G7, G7 starts uh, President Macron of France is already there. Uh, he had a, a pre-summit, if you will, with Prime Minister Trudeau uh, of Canada. Uh, the atmosphere up there is going to be very, very tense because before heading off to the G summit, of course, uh, Donald Trump went out of his way uh, to alienate uh, everybody else who's going to be there, uh, basically declaring war on all of our allies in the G7 and including Mexico as well. Uh, and with these tariffs that he slapped, steel and aluminum tariffs uh, that he slapped on uh, on Western Europe, on the European Union, and on Mexico, uh, and on Canada, uh, and so the, the the there was a he engaged in a big Twitter war yesterday with the Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, Trudeau, who said we have we have every right and every intention of uh, retaliating against the United States. They've already done so, uh, in, in uh, starting to do so. Uh, and then Donald Trump got into a big Twitter war with Emmanuel Macron of France, the one ally he had left in Western Europe. Um, and remember, they talked about what a great relationship. I mean, Donald Trump smothering him with kisses and hugs when Macron was here about a month ago. Macron yesterday put out a tweet saying, quote, the American president may not mind being isolated, but neither do we signing a six country agreement. If G6 need be. now. <laughs> yeah, the G6. Right. That's what he's saying. So uh, Trump is walking into this, uh, having pissed them all off ahead of time. It's going to be very awkward, very tense. They have their photo tonight, family photo. Uh, <clears throat> won't be many smiles at that photo. Uh, and then they have, they start some meetings tomorrow morning, and Trump has already announced that he's leaving at 1030 tomorrow morning. Uh, they're going to talk about uh, oceans and uh, uh, the health of the ocean and cleaning up the ocean. Uh, Trump doesn't want to be there for that. They're going to talk about climate change. Uh, he doesn't want to be there for that. And then other environmental issues. Uh, he doesn't want to be there for that. And he doesn't want to be there for trade either. But, of course... Uh, Larry Kellow says, this is just a little family feud. It's nothing serious. No, it's not. We have pissed off everybody we used to do business yeah. with. That's what Th it is. This is what this is what. Yeah, we talked about during the election. This is what we were afraid of. These are our closest allies. And, and they're basically saying. And for a long for, time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're basically saying, eh, we're going to move on without you. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this without you. So if our closest allies are tired of our BS at this point. Right. Imagine how the rest of the world feels. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, I think, responding to uh, to President Trump yesterday. We'll have points of disagreement and points of agreement, but uh, the actual fact of having these discussions is always good for the international community, good for our citizens, and good for the world. Uh, nice taking the high road there. Yeah, the nice. It is nice to have these discussions, but but the point is, with Donald Trump, there's no discussion. He just does whatever he wants, you know, like the bull in the china shop, and then says, well, they'll have to come around and uh, and agree with us eventually. No, they won't. So uh, he leaves there and goes off to 
the North Korean summit yesterday. Um, we had a little news conference in the Rose Garden with Prime Minister Abe from Japan uh, and Donald Trump saying, number one, this is pardon me, not going to be just a, which I believe it is, just a, pardon me, just a photo op. This will not be uh, just a photo op. This will be, at a minimum, uh, we'll start with perhaps a good relationship, and that's something that's very important toward the ultimate making of a deal. I'd love to say it could happen in one deal. Maybe it can. But, you know, this is, again, this is, we've seen this so many times. This is classic Donald Trump. He sits down at Mar-a-Lago after spending a year and a half campaigning and making China the big issue in his campaign. We're going to get tough on China. China's, you know, taking advantage of us, and man, it's never going to happen again. And then he invites President Xi down to Mar-a-Lago, and right away, they're best of friends. They sit down and have chocolate cake together. So, you know, this is going to be the same BS when he sits down with Kim Jong-un. Oh, my God, you know, we're such partners. We're such buddies, right? You know, God, yeah. It's 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 just, it's just so insane. Uh, but but uh, Trump is also pointing out, don't worry, man, I could just get up and walk away from that table. All I can say is I am totally prepared to walk away. I did it once before. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. is that a brag? Yeah. Why is that something to be proud of? I canceled it once. I can cancel it again. I act like sure. a petulant child once before. Watch me do it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, remember uh, he said at the Republican convention, uh, uh, only I can fix it. Only I can fix it, right? That same thing about peace with or relations with North Korea. This is something that should have been handled many years ago by other presidents. It shouldn't be handled now. It should have been handled years ago. Oh, mm-hmm. But it is being handled now, and I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I'll fix it. I yeah. alone can fix it. I, that's what he said, right? I alone can fix it. And then he really dropped this little bombshell, surprising everybody. But And you know this is going to happen. You know it's going to happen. Kim Jong-un at the White House. I think it would be well-received. I think he would look at it very favorably, so I think that could happen. I- I'm sure he would look at it very favorably. But damn right he'd look at it very favorably. Of course, we would have to loan him a plane to get him here. <laughs> right. There is that. There is that little problem. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. Fine. I hope he gets something from him before he invites him to the White House and not just another photo op. You know. Know what I mean? We've moved. I mean, this this has become sort of like uh, uh, something that we've talked about for a while. And and I think that at the end of the day, this could be a positive thing. Right. I'm not saying it will be, but it could definitely be. My fingers are crossed. Yeah. Could be. In the Korean War, both agree not to use any new whatever. Yeah, that would be great. And we'll give Donald Trump credit if it happens. But let us not forget who Kim Jong-un is. Let us not forget that he is a murderous dictator. And yeah, for him to invite his half-brother murdered, yeah. had his uncle murdered. Yeah. 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 He's a bad, a bad hombre, to use yeah. a Donald Trump yeah. phrase. And, yeah. we're, and we're talking about inviting him here mm-hmm. for a White House state visit? Right. I don't think so. All right. Now, uh, so how much preparation is uh, You know, by the way, so this Tuesday, this is Tuesday, folks. Tuesday is the summit, the summit that nobody else could pull off. Donald Trump, at least, it looks like, is going to show up. Looks like Kim Jong-un is going to show up. So then what happens? You know, 
how much preparation has gone into this? Donald Trump yesterday indicating, and this was before he had that news conference with uh, Abe, but was in the, uh, some bill signing in the in the Oval Office, telling reporters preparation is not all that important. This isn't a question of preparation. It's a question of whether or not people want it to happen, and we'll know that very quickly. Yeah, again, this is the blustering developer in New York who just goes into a meeting thinking that he can just, you know, bull his way through it, right? Uh, doesn't happen that way on the world stage. And Donald Trump saying, by the way, no, not preparation. It's just the tone. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time, as has the other side. In the same breath. It's about attitude. In attitude. the same breath, he mm-hmm. says, I don't think I have to prepare very much. But I've been preparing for a long but time. But I've been preparing for a long time. Right. What? Yeah. Uh, it, it just coincidentally, uh, I hope you were with us yesterday, when Stu Eisenstadt joined us, he was the domestic policy advisor for President Carter and has just written this uh, monumental book about the Carter presidency, a lot of it about Camp David. And we talked, he and I talked about, and the point he made was the contrast. The pre- Imagine, imagine the preparation, the hours and hours, I mean, days and months of preparation that went into, they were at Camp David for like, 10 or 12 days. And, you know, they didn't show up at Camp David just like Donald Trump's going to show up in Singapore. It's about attitude. Yeah, about, well, this is about, we'll just go and have a good time and see what happens. No, no, no. (laughs) As Stu Eisenstadt said, the preparation is what made Camp David successful. He's going into a summit with North Korea. The key to Camp David was preparation, preparation, preparation. (laughs) Now we talk about a contrast. Yes, but that's critical. You cannot yes. just go in this for, you know, a handshake. You have to understand the up. person you're dealing with. You have to understand the red lines of the other side and the red lines you want to achieve. You have to really understand the issues. Yes, indeed. Boy, well, that, I mean, <laughs> you have to really understand the issues. Is not necessarily going to work for Trump. Uh, no. So fingers crossed, but a lot of skepticism about what could what could come out of that. Uh, catching up on a few other issues, by the way. Um, oh, my God. Anthony well, Bourdain died this morning. I just saw on CNN. Are you serious? Oh, at 61 years old. Oh, damn. Whoa. Whoa. What a great loss. What a great man, too. Oh, he had a wonderful life. And uh, that show on CNN was so good. And thanks to you, Peter, we've been blessed with having him uh, in studio with us. On two different uh, two different occasions. Yeah, he's been in studio with us before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and his books are amazing. His I mean, if books. You... Oh, uh, Kitchen Confidential is one of the best books I ever read. Yeah. Oh, Holy that's cow! So that's sad. a gut punch, man. That is. Yeah, I just looked up and I saw his picture and I thought it was just an ad for his show, but no, a uh, dead at sixty-one. No details. Oh, so oh my sad. God. So sad. Uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye on that and see yeah. what else comes out about it, because that's like shocking. Member of the family, you know. Yikes. Remember that little, he and Obama went uh, out that little place, had like five tables in it, I think in Hanoi or someplace. Um, remember when he and Obama uh, yeah, it was taking in, back it, having a beer? I think it was. It was in Vietnam. Vietnam. It was in Vietnam. And in fact, 
I remember because not that long ago. I said down some alley. I mean, yeah. Secret Service was just bananas. Not that long ago, somebody went to that restaurant and sort of they showed the they they have uh, uh, they've sort of like cordoned off the table where Bourdain and oh, Obama sat. Yeah. It's sort of like a oh really a, a memorial now or like a shrine of where this thing happened because it was such a big deal for that yeah. community. And as you mentioned, like the Secret Service just takes over. Uh, and so people still remember that, and like nobody sits at that table anymore. It's mm. just sort of there. Wow, wow, Anthony Bourdain. Oh my God! Whoa. You know it, it, the other thing about Bourdain recently is his girlfriend uh, was one of the women who accused Harvey Weinstein of uh, sexual assault, and she's been very vocal about it and has mm. talked about it a lot. <laughs> Uh, and anybody that's followed him on social media, whether it's on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, has seen him out there supporting her and being very, yeah. very vocal. Yeah. And uh, she just recently gave um, just a blistering speech at Con hmm. and oh, talking really? about oh, yeah. the enablers, yeah. Yeah. the enablers of Harvey Weinstein. And, and Bourdain was there to sort of like help her along with that. But like, boy, oh boy, that's. Yeah. And he has been everywhere and eaten everything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. stories, the stuff that he would do. Oh, my God. Oh, so sad. Um, hard to move on. Awful. But awful. moving on to, uh, let's say, some of the other news of the day. Wanted to bring you up to date on the Eagles. Just uh, one little factoid to remember. Um, uh, and one more reason why uh, Donald Trump canceled that event. It turns out. That when the the Eagles informed the White House that after they had uh, gotten all their uh, team together, and I mean the whole squad together, the team and the play and the um, and the coaches and the support team and everything, were all going to the White House. How many want to go to the Trump White House for the Trump celebration of the Eagles championship? Uh, <laughs> um, we don't know what the entire number of people was, but maybe over a hundred. Okay. Uh, the total number of people who said, yes, we would like to go to the White House and shake hands with Donald Trump was two. Two! Can you imagine how embarrassing, how humiliating that would have been? Right. Uh, <clears throat> so That's never happened. We heard, it was, we heard it was fewer than 10, right? We didn't know <clears throat> it was that low. Uh, down to two. And uh, Scott Pruitt, well, the latest on Scott Pruitt, thanks to the Washington Post today. And we have seen, you know, on top of all that stuff with all the private plane travel and the $43,000 telephone booth, uh, this week the news came out that um, <laughs> he was sending one of his aides out and part one of his security team out, by the way, to um, get him a used mattress, cheap, uh, from the Trump Hotel is where they started looking. Excuse me, a used Used, cheap mattress. Used cheap mattress. <laughs> uh, then we he, we also found out that uh, he had tried to get one of his aides to help him get a Chick-fil-A franchise for his wife. Uh, it's a funny story in the New York Times this morning. It says it's easier to get into Harvard than it is to get a Chick-fil-A franchise because so so many people want them. And uh, But Scott Pruitt uh, did not succeed in that. And the other thing is now that uh, that came out this morning in the Washington Post is he also used his security team to drive him around Washington looking for his favorite moisturizing lotion. 
So they were going from store to store till Scott Pruitt could find his moisturizing I mean, lotion. I uh, mean, if you're going to be loyal to your brand, uh, you, you got to go find it, man. We don't know what that brand was, whether it was Lubriderm <laughs> or Cetaphil. We're not really <laughs> sure, but uh, he was looking. He was looking for it. I saw Senator Kennedy from uh, Louisiana yesterday just say, what a moron. <laughs> moron. <laughs> what a moron. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, but, you know, Donald Trump sticks by, stick is willing to stick by Scott Pruitt only because Scott Pruitt is doing everything Donald Trump wants to destroy the environment. Interesting poll out this morning from NBC and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, looking at the impact of the uh, midterms, and a couple things struck me. No, uh, uh, one, in no particular order, people were asked, what's the most important issue? What do you care about? Uh, and interesting, uh, what do you care about? Number one was not the Russian investigation. Uh, number one was not Stormy Daniels. Uh, number one was not even jobs. Number two was jobs and the economy. Number one? Healthcare, healthcare, very interesting because that's not. By the way, number one was not the tax cuts either. Not they, I don't know where that was on the list, way down the list. But healthcare, that's not a good issue for Republicans this year, because yes, premiums are going to go up because Republicans took all the juice and all the muscle out of Obamacare and and let the insurance companies and in fact forced the insurance companies to raise premiums because they took out the individual mandate. So um, this, whole, this whole attempt to gut Obamacare, uh, unsuccessful in repealing it, but now gutting it so that it's, it's much more expensive, uh, could turn around and, and bite Republicans in the ass. Just saying, 22% of Americans said health care is the most important issue today. 19% said the economy and jobs. That's so interesting for so many different reasons. Yeah. I mean, it, I one mean, of them is that we've talked about this before. Say what you will about Obamacare, <laughs> and it's a very flawed system, but a lot of people got health care that didn't have it before and didn't have the and opportunity to get it before. And now they're seeing already in five years, they're seeing it taken away from them. Yeah, and so if you try yeah. and take that away from people who need it and have benefited from it, no matter how flawed it might be, uh, that's a losing issue. Right. Uh, and then another uh, interesting point I found in this poll is uh, people are asked, so who do you want, uh, who would you rather have in charge of Congress? This is the so-called generic poll, and um, it's not as accurate as going through every one of the 435 races and, and saying, okay, do you prefer the Republican or the Democrat in this particular race? But overall, would you rather have Democrats or Republicans in charge of the House? Pardon me. 50% of Americans said Democrats. 40% said Republicans. So a 10% advantage, double-digit advantage back again for Democrats to take over the House. Uh, with all the uh, conditions and hesitation you put on a generic poll like that, this still is good news for the Democrats and makes it uh, even more likely that there could be a blue wave this year. Democrats take back at least control of the House. Uh, and finally, this was very interesting. Would you be more likely to vote for a candidate who will stand up to Donald Trump or support Donald Trump? Which kind of a candidate do you want for Congress? One is going to stand up to Trump or 
go along with Donald Trump. The ones, the, the, the advantage for those who say, we want somebody who's going to stand up to Donald Trump, 25% more, 25 points more. That's a gap between support Trump or stand up to Trump. Stand up to Trump wins by 25 points. So people uh, are looking for Congress uh, to show some backbone and not to go along with everything that uh, Donald Trump is trying to do. Very, very important uh, um, uh, findings, I think, from that uh, NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Got a lot coming up here. We're going to talk about government spending. It is out of line, a waste, particularly in military spending, more ways than one. Uh, Dan Grazer from the Project on Government Oversight will join us a little bit later. Nancy Cook covers the White House for Politico. She'll be along as well in studio. And then Jason Dick, uh, often a frequent guest host here on the Bill Press Show from Roll Call, will be along a little bit later in the program. So we've got a busy Friday here for you. That's why it's good to have you on board. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and pick up here on the Bill Press Show Friday, Friday, June 8th. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And welcome back, everybody, here to the Bill Press Show on this Friday, Friday, June 8th, coming to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill uh, in Washington, D.C. Joining you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you also on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice in Chicago. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments. You see them uh, racing up and down the streets every day, uh, protecting American families. They're on the front lines every day, never let us down. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, we salute them, thank them for their support of the program, and direct you to their website at IAFF.org. And we're all concerned uh, about, um, or should be, uh, about the government spending and the waste in government spending, particularly some of the stories we hear about the waste in military spending. Dan Grazier is with the Project on Government Oversight to talk about that for a little bit with us and joins us in studio. Hey, Dan, it's good to see you. Hey, Bill, it's great to be here. Thanks for coming in. Uh, and uh, we've been at it for uh, a little over half an hour now, stirring up uh, some comments along the way. Peter? Yes, indeed. Don't forget, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, <laughs> at BP Show. You can chime in on any topic at any time. You talked about uh, some of the numbers there uh, 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 before we took a break there. One of mm. our tweeters saying, well, it looks like 70% of Americans are uninformed <laughs> when oh. you talked about all the other people that were uh, that were out there. Uh, breaking news, as we talked about in the last segment, Anthony Bourdain, has passed away. Uh, people were immediately chiming in. Uh, he lived a very fast and a very rich life. So sad. Also, it has been confirmed that he has taken, he took his own life. Mm. He so, took his own so, life. God. While he was Terrible in France, story. he was filming an episode of his CNN show, Parts Unknown, yeah. uh, and he was found unresponsive in his hotel room. Uh, that's about all. The, those are about all the details that we have as of now. Also, uh, we talked about. I think it became like the number one show on CNN. It was. It was. You know, I even, mean, the, even, even the executives at CNN admitted, like, it's not our news shows that are leading the. the no, and they just kind of 
<laughs> he was such a colorful character. Yeah. And his books were so good that they thought they'd try him with a little show once a week or something. And yeah. it just took off. Took I mean, off. And he was so into it. He'd go anywhere with that camera and eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, also, it's early this morning, which means the president is tweeting. He tweeted this morning. Congratulations to the Washington Capitals on their great play and winning the Stanley Cup championship. Alex Ovechkin, the team captain, was spectacular, a true superstar. DC is popping in so many ways. <laughs> what a time. Now, I do want to point out that Alex Ovechkin, who is now the hero of Washington, DC, mm-hmm. is Russian. He's a and, Russian, of course, right. Yes. And has said how much he loves Vladimir Putin. So in eyes that Donald Trump now loves Alexander Ovechkin, who loves Vladimir Putin. Well, Robert Mueller has a whole new <laughs> chapter now. Yeah, exactly. A whole new. <laughs> uh, so the question is, will the Caps be invited to the White House? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm sure and that they will. And the next question would be, will they go? You know, I don't know the politics of anybody in hockey at all. I don't think it's like I don't, what, I don't think it's like football or basketball. I guess is they would go. I would imagine so. First Stanley Cup, probably. Yeah, I would imagine so. Unless Trump does something to piss him off between now and then, <laughs> which could. never okay. underestimate the all power right. of that. All right, thanks, Peter, and thanks for your comments, folks. Don't forget, uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, your thoughts on the news of the day uh, at BP Show. Project on government uh, oversight. Boy, that'll keep you busy. Uh, <laughs> uh, over, you know, you don't hear as much. It used to be once a year, I remember, there would be a report come out on some of the most outrageous examples of government abuse in terms of s- s- spending. We're just spending so much money on stuff that's kind of ridiculous. What's the worst? Is this still going on? Number one, and what are the, what? Give us a couple of the worst examples. Well, it, it, we definitely try to uncover these things whenever we can. the The challenge is that the government does uh, everything it can to try to cover up a lot of these things. Oh, I bet. Now, yeah, they've been embarrassed plenty of times, and our organization was right on on the forefront of this in the 1980s, exposing things like the $640 toilet seat cover uh, back in the 1980s. And, I remember. And yeah. the the thousand dollar flathead pin, those kind of those kind of things. But now a lot of times, then Senator Barbara Boxer was, or that she was in Congress, I think at that right. time. Right. Well, there was a it was a great bipartisan effort. There was the in the 1980s, there was the very robust Congressional Military Reform Caucus, and they were. You know, on on both both sides of the aisle, there was approximately 150 different uh, members in both the House and Senate who were who who really brought a lot of energy to this movement to try to expose a lot of these issues. And unfortunately, as as those kind of movements go, it, it, people got sidetracked on different yeah, issues. Right. Other people that's left. That's, yeah, that's my impression. We don't talk about it. As much. It's not as not as. Right in the forefront of issues we talk about anymore. Uh, it's not, unfortunately, and and what we've what we've noticed over the over the last couple of years is that more and more members of Congress, again on both sides of the aisle, unfortunately, are really making the case for the defense contractors. You see it all the time in 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 hearings about weapon systems, just in the the National Defense Authorization Act markup. You hear them making the case for the defense contractors that happen to have have facilities in their districts. 
Right. Now, you're a former Marine captain, right? Right, correct. So you're in the military. All we hear about, to, to your point, is we have more money for the Pentagon, more money for the Pentagon, more money for the Pentagon. I mean, there must be huge amounts of waste and in in the military, by the way, in every agency, right? But the idea that there's no waste in the military, I just don't buy it, right? right. So I I recently published a piece going through looking at the defense spending and what we end up getting for it, and and I just based on some prior work that we've done, I used 2001 as a starting point, and from 2001 to 2018 with uh, the omnibus bill, defense spending went up 124 percent adjusted for inflation. Yeah, we don't have a hundred and twenty-four percent bigger force now. Our the force is actually smaller in many cases than it was in in two thousand, yeah. and so that that money is going someplace. There was the well, if that <laughs> if the if the budget if the spending went up one hundred and twenty-four percent, I take your and I'm I, I take your word. I'm sure it's true. Then why do they keep saying you know the military's Falling apart, right? Then the military is. If we don't put increase the military, but what did Trump do? Five hundred million or something, or right. billion? That, that, that you know, we won't be able to protect the United States. It's just well, a lot of it stems to very poor decisions that were made a long time ago. So the 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 United States military has a big predilection for. Uh, very complicated or very complex and thus very expensive weapon systems. And we start off with these really ambitious pro- programs, things like the the Ford aircraft carrier that has a number of different unproven technologies that they built into the, that they designed into the ship, but they don't work yet. <laughs> and so they built this ship around these things that don't work. So yeah. it's things like that, the, the Zumwalt uh, destroyer, which was this really you know, futuristic ship that the Navy wanted that they, and they expected to have about 30 of them, but they couldn't get the thing to work. And one of the reasons was it has this really complicated. I mean, don't you think they ought to get it to work before they order 30 of them? Yes, absolutely. And I that's mean, one of the big things that we advocate is that we want to make sure that the development process on these on these systems uh, goes through to completion, that they're tested in a realistic yeah, yeah, combat scenario, right. and then we make decisions about about how to buy them. And the case in point, the the champion of all time for this uh, for this phenomenon, it's called concurrency, is the the F thirty five. The F thirty five has been in development for eighteen years now. Uh, the the program office says they're going to complete development later this year, but really they're just going to say they've completed development, and then they're going to push off a lot of the things that they haven't finished until until later, which is going to cost us a whole lot more money. But meantime. We're buying hundreds of these things. By the time the the design can actually be tested through operational test and evaluation, the services are going to have purchased over 500 of these things. And at that point, we it, the the determination might be made. It's very reasonable as this thing goes through operational testing that it doesn't work. But we're going to be stuck with hundreds of these things that we've spent billions and billions of dollars on. And F-35 is a fighter plane, right? And Okay, each one costs. Roughly. There's it's a, that's what's a difficult thing. I, yeah, I usually at? give the the average because there's okay. two different variants and the prices <laughs> vary dramatically. I usually say about 150 million dollars a piece. 150 million dollars a plane. Right. So that's average across the three different variants. Can you imagine getting in the pilot seat for a, a piece of equipment that costs 150 million dollars? I mean, I'm nervous driving. Our thirty thousand dollar car, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, uh, or parking it. 
it's uh, uh, the, the the numbers are just staggering. It, but, that, that's that that that's one of my biggest takeaways here is when we talk about these numbers, they'll blow you away, and it's just sort of like, I mean, it's just nothing when you look at how the like the amount of money that we spend, especially in military stuff. Like, we don't even flinch when we hear that there is an aircraft that costs a hundred sixty million dollars, right? Like, it doesn't even. But the idea that that hasn't been tested before we buy them, that would be like GM or something, right, putting out marketing a car, uh, and then you don't know whether it works or not, right? and expecting people to buy it. Now, nobody, consumers would not be dumb enough to buy it, but the United States government is dumb enough to buy these weapon systems because the defense contractors sell them. Right, and it does it all the time. I usually like to use the analogy of a, of a cell phone. If you can imagine, like what we're doing with the F-35, to, to give a cell phone analogy, is we are paying full price. We're actually paying a premium to get the the early model of of a cell phone, and while the company is still developing it, and then once they finish the design and they come up with all the improvements for it, then you would take the cell phone back to the manufacturer, and then you would pay them. Mm on a, another fee on top of the premium that you had to buy the early model to then fix up the the cell phone that that should have been completed before you ever purchased it and and we do this again and again on on airplanes on ships on ground vehicles it's 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 just the way the way the Pentagon does business uh, project on government oversight so you are you is your main focus on the military and on Pentagon spending yes yeah, I and and I because that's where most of the waste is, or because that's what your background. That's is? it's what my background is. I I was a I was a journalist before September 11th, and <laughs> and then when the war started, I decided to do my part, and I and I joined the Marine Corps. Yeah, and, good for you. And yeah, it was it was a great adventure. I I hugely enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps. Working with the Marines was was the greatest thing, and it was a tank officer. So uh, riding around in a tank is is fun. But I, I learned a lot of things as I was as I was in the service and as I was observing things. And the tank is a, actually a pretty good example. The the Abrams is is an amazing tank in that close in battle up against another tank. But that's only part. That's that's a jousting match. That's not actual armored warfare. And this is what I think a lot of people miss on on a lot of these issues. They focus on that jousting match at the very end. Uh, of the of the cycle, I guess, as far as a weapon system goes, but they ignore everything that goes up to that, and and everything that goes up to that 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 whole encompasses armored warfare. And so the while the Abrams is clo- is really great on that jousting match, it's it requires a lot of fuel, it requires a lot of maintenance because of the turbine engine and and because of of all the electronics uh, in it to make it work. And so we have this really big logistics train that follows every single tank unit, and that can really slow down that unit. When at the at the time, like the you you achieve victory in armored warfare by generating tempo, and by being able to operate faster than your, and not just in speed, but able to make decisions and being able to to jink around on the battlefield basically faster than your enemy can. But if you're dragging this big logistics element behind you. That slows you down, and that really crushes your tempo. But don't take this personally. But aren't tanks obsolete? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I mean, it seems to me that warfare is changing so fast. It, right? Warfare. We got so drones. Then we have drones now. We, we do. We, we do. There's man drones, and and there's there's anti tank guided missiles and yeah, all kinds of right. things. And you're you're right. And the the character of warfare changes all the time. The the nature of warfare remains constant throughout history. The character of warfare does change. 
I don't really anticipate big battles a la Kursk. Uh, again, like big massed tank-on-tank uh, -tank battles across, uh, you know, scores of miles. I don't... Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that right. day is passed. Uh, the tank still has a very, very valuable role in warfare. Uh, we saw that in 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 Fallujah in 2004. Uh, the the tanks saved a lot of lives in 2004 as they were clearing out Fallujah, and and even when that was first Desert Storm, wasn't it? No, no. That, oh, no was, that was okay. Yeah, that, uh, that was OIF yeah. in, right. okay. in in late 2004, November yeah, 2004. Right. I was I was in Fallujah a couple <laughs> years later in 2007, and we didn't fire any main gun rounds, at least in my platoon, we didn't. But the tanks proved very useful as far as well. The, the tank is a very intimidating presence on the battlefield, and I'll so. Bet. When we would do a lot of support missions with the, the infantry as they were trying to yeah. set up a patrol base, I'd take a couple tanks out and I'd set up and no one would mess with them because they didn't want to tangle with me and the tanks. It was the same thing with engineers as they were building, fixing roads, building checkpoints or something like that. We would go and we would protect them. And we, we, we jokingly referred to it as a blanket of freedom mission uh, to give those, guys a, give those guys a chance. And, so if you want to start right now, right, mm -hmm. um, to, to, to do something about wasteful spending in the military where would you where would you start do you start on the toilet seat <laughs> or do you start on the f-35 i mean do you, do you go big or small or do you go across the board i would say across the board and you would you would start big and you would start in congress and and i would uh i would urge every member of congress particularly those in the armed services committees that they need to uh, they need to really evaluate the way the Pentagon does business. So the the toilet seat issue, and and this all stems from a, what are we paying for a toilet seat today? Okay, this so this uh, came out in in a story uh, over the last couple of days that the that a toilet seat cover. This is according to Will Roper, who's the uh, the top Air Force official for acquisitions. Uh, a toilet seat cover for a C seventeen cargo plane would cost ten thousand dollars. Wait, ten thousand dollars. You can go to Frager's Hardware right up here on hmm. 13th Street, right, uh, and probably get one for I don't know 50 bucks. Maybe. Probably, probably. And now, Peter, when's the last time you bought a toilet seat? Um, it's been a while. But yeah, I, but I paid a little less than 10 grand. Right, and now military equipment is specialized, so it's reasonable that it's going to cost a little bit more than. But than for most a cargo civilian. plane, we're but not talking about right. First class on uh, El Al or right. anything, right? And and I, you know, full disclosure, I've flown on C-17s on a number of occasions, and I've used the facilities in a C-17, and I can tell you <laughs> that there wasn't anything special about that. Was nothing that. nicer oh, about oh, it? No, oh, no, no. You don't weird. remember being the the, sn <laughs> the snazziest toilet seat you ever yeah, sat I'd like on? Yeah, I'd like to think that if you paid 10 gur for a toilet seat, it's going to be the nicest toilet seat you've ever seen. Right. There might be some specialties. <laughs> right, I want to know. Yeah. I want to know. Oh, so ten the, grand. Ten, this ten, is a guy. This is grand. a procurement officer for right. the Air Force, right? Who says this is what they pay for a cargo, like a C seventeen. C seventeen. Yep, big, right. big cargo plane. And the I was as as shocking as oh, I figure yeah. was. was uh, they could get them for they could get them cheaper. Right, and and so and he, and what's he, wrong with the system that they don't get them cheaper? Well, it it all has to do with intellectual property rights. So when what exactly? So 
and this is where the the Congress really needs to step in to change the way the Pentagon does business because this goes all the way back to when this program was originally contracted before the first C-17 was ever built. There was a negotiation between the manufacturer and 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 the Pentagon, and then it was authorized by Congress. And the the government, the Pentagon, did not negotiate, did not acquire the intellectual property rights. They did not acquire the design for the C-17. So that now when you need new parts for it, and particularly the C-17 isn't being built anymore. So mm-hmm. oh. the, so the cost for this, that, that $10,000 cost, and it was unfortunate to hear to hear Mr. Roper, Secretary Roper, make the case for, for the contractors on this one without really questioning it, uh, is that to to make this now, the manufacturer has to shut down production on whatever they're building now. They have to retool a little bit to make this yeah. to make a couple of these items, and and that's what that's where the cost comes from. Well, I, I mean, not to get too fixed, but it's just something that people can focus on because oh, right. everybody knows, right? Everybody uses one. So, I mean, the idea that you couldn't, the design isn't that special. No, I mean, you could go to. Um, um, where do you go for? I'm just trying to think of uh, Peter the big. I'm thinking of Fragers, where I would go, but um, like a Home Depot, a Home Depot, yeah, Home, Depot of Home Depot. You could go to Home Depot and get a toilet seat that would fit that toilet on the C17. Well, I would think that you would be able to to go to, I guess, an aviation supply outfit. All right, or that really because yeah. it's uh, there's nothing special about it. And right, it should be it should be yeah. a uniform item. For right. for aircraft, and you should be able to yeah. go like yeah. rip one off another another kind of aircraft. It should be a right. kind of a standardized right. thing, but it's not, and that's because the, the, you know why. I'm just I'm sorry to jump in, but there's because there's no incentive. Yep. Because Congress will give them whatever they want. Exactly. Well, that's what, as I hear nobody this, nobody challenges it. Right. As that's I hear exactly you, right. As I hear you guys talking about this conversation, I'm reminded it of how many times Donald Trump was saying. We need more money for the military. We need more money for the military. We I know. need more money for the Every military. Every time I hear that, I think, well, I mean, I'm not against giving more money to the military. Sure. If they need it for this or that, and if they're not wasting it. Right. If and he was to say, we need more money for the military, they need more $10,000 toilet seats, he would have a harder time getting money through. That, that that's true, and he. Uh, and, By the and, way, and, he spent more than that for his toilet seats. <laughs> I think these are gold at Mar-a-Lago yeah, right. and uh, and the Trump Tower. Yeah, yeah you they probably are gold. I, I, I think there's probably some more resale value in his than there are in the C-17s, and uh, and to to President Trump's credit, he does at, at almost every opportunity he does criticize wasteful spe- wasteful military spending. But what's but he's still, but he gives them more money, right? He does, he, he does. Just loading. It on, loading it on. Now, I'm pretty sure I've got to go back and uh, and double check this, but I remember that Harry Truman, in the when he was in the Senate in World War II, he was chair of a committee on wasteful government spending. In the middle of World War II, they were still testing the you know putting pressure on the Pentagon to cut costs and not to waste money. Right, so it's not un-American. No. To want to question military spending, right? And and actually, the the story of Harry Truman and what he did as as uh, as a senator was actually really amazing. He actually got in his car by himself as a United States senator and drove all over the country visiting visiting arms plants and and inspecting mm. their operations. Mm. And he uncovered all kinds of waste. And that really was what propelled him to the national stage. What 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 attracted the attention of the of the Democrat mm-hmm. uh, Democratic Party and how he became the vice president and then eventually president of the United States. This is actually a problem and I'm a I'm 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 a, a budding military historian. 
the this is a problem that goes at least as far back as the Civil War. Uh, the the Civil War, the the 1860s, in uh, a lot of people referred to it as the Age of Shoddy, uh, and that was because you had a lot of very unscrupulous uh, contractors uh, and sutlers, and and they had various mm. names for them back mm-hmm. then that were selling mm. that were selling garbage goods to the army. There's yeah. a really famous example where uh, where a bunch of infantrymen were given were given new boots, and on the very first day, on the very first march, the soles fell right off and when the contractor when the settler was asked about it he said oh well those were for the cavalry they weren't for the infantry oh wow so this has been going on for a long long time yeah no i'm sure it has and but and and so you've got in that that case of goods that were fraudulent or phony right but also and in this case people the goods may be okay, but they're just charging too much for them, right. and we're and we're paying too much for them. We are, and because nobody's nobody's really nobody questioning is challenging them. it. If people want to follow and get more examples and 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 learn more about this uh, project on government oversight. Do you have a website? We do, we do. Ours is uh, uh, pogo.org, P-O-G-O.org, and and within Pogo, we're the Strauss Military Reform Project. So you can dive right into to Pogo is. Project on Government Oversight? Correct. Okay. Pogo. I like that. Pogo.org. Very, very important. Boy, I w- I just wish that both the House and the Senate had an active committee. But they do have an oversight committee. This is what they ought to be looking at. Exactly. You ought to be there. You ought to be on that staff, keeping <laughs> them straight. Thanks for coming in, Dan. Thanks okay. for having me. Project on Government Oversight. P-O-G-O.org. Check it out, folks. Nancy Cook joins us from Politico, covers the White House for Politico, coming up next. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash the bill press show and remember if you haven't already done so make sure to subscribe to this podcast on itunes and while you're there please rate and review the show that means a lot to us and thanks so much for your support Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, he is on his way to Canada for the G7 summit, but he's not going to stay long because uh, they don't want him. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he's pissed everybody off before he gets there. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Friday, Friday, June 8th. About it. Good to see you today. I uh, hope you're uh, having a good one. And certainly it's a good way to start the day by joining us here on uh, the Bill Press Show. With all the news of the day, boy, back to back, big uh, acts on the world stage for uh, Donald Trump. Yes, the G7 summit. Uh, they're going to be talking uh, climate change. They're going to be talking uh, oceans, health of the oceans. They're going to be talking... Um, protecting the environment, clean air, clean water. Uh, they're going to be talking uh, some trade issues. None of those things Donald Trump really wants to talk about, so he is flying up there for the family photo today. 
and then for maybe breakfast tomorrow morning, and they've already announced uh, he's going to get out of town um, by 10.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, and um, President Macron of France is saying they're already ready to issue a G6 summit conclusion at the end of it. Uh, if the United States wants out, he said, we're glad to let them out. We don't need the United States. Boy, how things have changed. And then Donald Trump off to North to uh, Singapore for the big summit on North Korea, which is Tuesday but he said he doesn't have to prepare for it. Don't worry, because all you need is the right attitude. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Uh, lots going on here to talk about and lots that you will want to comment on. Remember, your comments are always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll get into it. But first. This is the Full Court Press. <laughs> Just a couple of other stories making news. Hey, it's summer. Let's talk about the travel season. Yesterday. Both United Airlines and Alaska Airlines announced that they are going to change their boarding procedures. They say they're going to try and get people on more quickly, more efficiently. They said that. Uh, let me put. I'm it this very way. interested in this because I know I, you know, I, I, I saw you perk no, up. I, <laughs> I fly a lot, and um, and I'm, you know, they don't have the best boarding procedure. No, okay. So Alaska said that what they're going to do is it's a five-group boarding process <laughs> that will provide a new boarding pass format to tell travelers which group they are, they are in. So this is similar to sort of like what uh, Southwest does. You have different groups no, that go. No, no, no. United has five lines right now, five different groups. Okay. But, but um, with um, Southwest... It's A, B, or C. Southwest, well, I was going to say, Southwest has the best system. The but, best they have, but, system. but they have the groups. That's what Alaska is doing. They're going to try and do the grouping system like Southwest does. Go ahead. Go right, ahead. Right. Keep going. So <laughs> United says they're doing a two-line system, just two different lines. And they think that they can just sort of, instead of doing all the different groups, they're just going to start filing yeah. people on. And they think, we'll have to see, they think that they figured it out. To like make this a little less pain, uh, a little less painful for people. Uh, you look no, no, no. Skeptical. I'm just saying. Do it what Southwest does. They got A, one through thirty on one side, thirty through sixty on the other. Get all the A's, then all the B's, all the C's. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, okay, so uh, also big sports news, of course. The Washington Capitals won the Stanley oh. Cup Finals last yeah. night. Uh, also on the sports news, uh, Eagle safety Malcolm Jenkins. Remember, this is the week that Donald Trump uninvited, disinvited them from the White House. He had a media availability yesterday. Instead of talking to the media, he just held up signs. He just held up signs saying, essentially, uh, I'm tired of the narrative being about the anthem. And he put out lots of different signs saying, "This is why we're this is why we're kneeling. This is what we believe in. This is what we want to do. This is the story we want to put out." And he did not talk to the media at all because he said that so much of this stuff gets misconstrued. And he put it very plainly. Yeah, good for him and uh, not not playing this game, I guess. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, hey, uh, pardon our gloating, but we are all caps today here on the Bill Press Show. And we're not talking about Donald Trump's tweets. 
We're talking about the Washington Capitals bringing home the Stanley Cup for the first time ever to the nation's capital. Last night happened in Las Vegas, of course. Our own Cyprian Bolding was there uh, the at, at the game. Update. I yes. just got a text from Cyprian Bolding. Oh. During full court. Well, well, he a... can't be up already. It's... Well, you know, three hours earlier. Well, 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 I guess he didn't go to bed. That's it. Uh, he sent me a picture and it just says, I have not slept yet. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Cyprian. Cyprian, get some sleep, if you're buddy. Watching, if you're listening, yeah, we miss you and we're so glad you're there representing us. And it must have been a magic moment last night. It was the, uh, remember, the Caps were up uh, three to one. Uh, they needed one more win. Uh, there were. Some crazy Washington fans who said, nah, last name's last night's game didn't count. You can blow that one. Just come home and then win the championship back here in Washington on Sunday. No, we said yesterday morning, no, no, no. The goal is to win the Stanley Cup. Do it last night. Well, they did. But for a while, man, Las Vegas was real. They were really scrappy last night. I I I thought that they could, they could have won that game last and night. Easily. Yeah. And, in fact, I thought they were going to. But I thought they were, too. I, I'm not a big hockey fan. I don't watch a lot of hockey. But I also uh, understand now that, like, the momentum can shift oh, yeah. in so an instant. So fast. In an instant. So, it, and that, so it was a tie game. Tie game, and here's they where. They kept the, going back and forth. Yep. And Lars Eller from the Washington Capitals actually scored. Here's what it sounded like last night in the third period. Michael Kempney now getting up the left side for Washington. Sending it back in along the left-hand side. 7.40 to go. Puck in front. Connolly with a chance. And they score. They score. The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller. Eller gets the rebound and puts it home. Washington leads it 4-3 with 7.37 to go. Oh, that was guys. the final score. Oh, those guys would call the hockey game. Just to watch, just to be able to follow that puck is astounding to me, uh, the way they do it. It was a very, very exciting game. Uh, as it was So um, you might have heard us say before, 44 years ago is when the, uh, I don't know whether they were called the Caps at the time, but Washington's hockey team was created. Uh, it's been a long time. This is their very first title, first time winning the Stanley Cup. 26 years since any Washington team in any major sports has won uh, the title. The last time was the Washington football team uh, back in, when, 92. 92. Uh, and Max, uh, or Alex, rather, uh, Oveshkin, 15 goals in the playoffs, uh, captain of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the Caps, who got the the equivalent of the most valuable player yeah, for the, the Conn Smythe Trophy is what it's called, but it's like yeah, this is yeah. the person. By the way, this the Stanley MVP. Cup is huge. You know, by the way, the the picture that Sip sent me, it's a picture <laughs> of him already with the Stanley Cup. Like he's he's by somebody carrying the Stanley Cup. And the thing about the Stanley Cup, there's been some writing about this over the years. It's unlike anything else in sports in that it is. Um, it, it, it gets carried around everywhere and photo ops all the time. And it's sort of a dingy trophy at this point. Mm. Yeah. Well, they have, uh, <laughs> at any rate, it was a magic moment last night. Big celebration here in Washington, D.C., uh, of course. Uh, and uh, now the uh, big question is uh, whether or not uh, the Caps will be invited to the White House and whether or not they will go we did find out yesterday that the uh, earlier uh, yesterday rather that um, the 
real story on the Eagles and the reason the White House canceled the planned celebration with the Eagles earlier in the week is that out of the entire team of team and squad and organization, Eagles organization, uh, coaches and players and support staff, there were only two, two people from that entire squad who said that they would like to go to the White House to meet Donald Trump. By the way, somebody uh, tweeted, tweeted, (laughs) I mean, that that's unbelievable because you've been to enough of these things, as you know, it's a huge thing. Yeah. A big um, crowd of people there standing with the president. Because yeah. By the time you count, again, everybody who makes up the squad, right? Somebody tweeted at us, uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly, who is a uh, 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 plays for the Capitals, one of the few African-Americans in the NHL, for that matter. Uh, he said he will not go to the White House. And he scored yeah. a big goal last night. Uh, and he's had a couple of big goals in the series. Oh, he said he will so he's not already... go to the White House. Yeah. So... Should get interesting. I mean, you know, hockey players, they don't necessarily, they're not as, con- they, they're not willing to yeah. take a controversial stand like other NFL players yeah, or I don't, NBA I, players. I don't hear many of them talking out about politics. No. Them. Right. No. Frankly, because a lot of them aren't from America. That's true, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, um, so we, uh, sorry, we had to go a little bit about the, uh, about the caps because it is so great. Uh, and, um, Meanwhile, big news on uh, the White House front, of course, is the president. Two back-to-back big events coming up. Uh, he leaves, um, if he hasn't already left, I forget what time today, he leaves for Ottawa, I mean for Quebec, Quebec, uh, for the big G7 summit. He'll be there overnight, and tomorrow morning, before they get into any climate change stuff, they've announced the president is going to leave early uh, he doesn't want to be around for uh, any of that climate change conversation. And he'll be taking off for directly to Singapore, where next Tuesday, already Tuesday, is the summit with Kim Jong-un of North Korea in Singapore. Nancy Cook covers the White House for Politico, uh, kind enough to join us in studio. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to see you. Thanks for having how me. How about it? So the president yesterday, he was asked about how much preparation... Uh, you're putting this is in the morning before he met with President uh, Prime Minister Abe in the afternoon. So, uh, what kind of preparation are you putting into this? Here he goes. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, yeah. willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time, as has the other side. Yeah, he doesn't have to do any prep. It's all about. Uh, attitude. Wasn't that a remarkable thing to say? Yeah, it's yeah. like something that privately, like we've heard advisors say that he's not into briefings and that he doesn't like sort of detailed briefings. But then he himself just, you know, sort of came out and said it like, I, I don't think I need to prepare. It is sort of about the attitude and the stance. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen uh, John Bolton's face as he said that, because I feel like there are a lot of people in his administration that do really you know, take the summit quite seriously and think that there's a lot at stake in terms of the denuclearization. Some people think human rights is important. Some don't. Um, but there's like, a, you know, a whole bevy of issues um, that are really complex that have like years of historical significance. And so it's just interesting that Trump feels like, you know, he's this deal maker and he doesn't need to sort of brush up on it or have the talking points or be briefed by you know, this whole cadre of experts that he has at his disposal at the White House. He has this, we've seen this before. Oh, yeah. With President Xi of China, mm-hmm. with President Macron of France, I mean, mm-hmm. and others. 
that it's all about his personal relationship. I mean, if he right, th- they have a good dinner together, right? Right, and they don't throw food at each other or something, then yeah, we're doing all great. Everything's going to be fine. But 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 foreign relations or foreign <laughs> policies about. A little deeper than that, right? Right. Everything for him is sort of about personal chemistry yeah. and, like, how yeah. he gets along with people. And there's not really a sense of, like, even, you know, how this relationship would fit in with a world order. I mean, we've seen how he's treated a lot of our European allies by imposing steel and aluminum tariffs that they're not excited about, you know, by not wanting to go to the G7, where they're going to be. That's right. He he was contemplating not even going. Oh, yeah. But. All week at Politico, we kept hearing that the president had been complaining about the G7, that he didn't want to go. You know, he doesn't like to go to places where he's not feted and where there's not going to sort of be a parade, where right. there'll be a confrontation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm surprised in a way that he's going at all because this has been like a big back and forth behind the scenes all week at the White House. Yeah. It's reported this morning, I think you report this morning, uh, that... Um, he f- that he didn't want to go, but finally people said, if you don't go, it's really going to look bad. It's going to look like you're, you know, you're afraid right. to face these people. So at least go in and make an appearance. But then Sarah Huckabee Sanders announcing that he was going to leave tomorrow morning at 1030. Right. And, you know, back to the idea of personal chemistry, like for him, uh, you know, personal appearances are also very important. Mm-hmm. So the idea that he would look like afraid or like he was avoiding something probably right. very much spoke to him. Right. And so, yes, he's agreeing to go, but he's going to bow out of it pretty quickly. Right. So um, President Macron of France yesterday and you and I were both there uh, about a month ago when President of France was at the White House and Donald Trump couldn't keep his hands off. I know. It was was a real bro fest. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. It got to be a little embarrassing. He's trying to keep trying to kiss him and (laughs) brush the dandruff off. Um, But it's so funny how. Like, we just completely forgot about that. Yeah. Like, and, and like where we are now. Well, because he's not that friendly to Macron now with right. all these no, trade no, deals. No, no, <laughs> And yesterday, Macron put out a tweet and said, well, the American president may not mind being isolated, but neither do we. Neither do we mind signing a, a six-country agreement. Right. Maybe. So basically, he and Trudeau have both said, President Trump, fine, you know, we don't need you. You, you. you just slap these tariffs on us. You know, we'll just go ahead with the Iran nuclear deal or right. the climate change or whatever without you. Right. And it's so interesting because the U.S. used to be sort of one of the most powerful figures in terms of making these deals, one of the most powerful figures in the deals. And Trump, with his much more isolationist approach to foreign policy, is basically <laughs> taking the U.S. out of that. Yeah. Um, which is just it's a it's such a huge shift in global power and how we think about it and how we think about who our allies are. And it's also so striking that heading to the G7, you know, he doesn't want to go and sort of spend time with people who have been U.S. allies forever. Meanwhile, you know, he's really uh, sort of laying it on thick and, and saying flattering things about a North Korean totalitarian leader. And, and I think that, you know, there's Republican members on the Hill who have concerns about that. You know, I know Senator Marco Rubio, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, like, you know, some some and some longtime Republicans sort of are have been disappointed by how fawning uh, Trump has been over. Over. Yeah. Kim uh, over Kim Jong-un. Yeah. In anticipation of a Tuesday's meeting where, again, uh, he would like to walk away from that, right, saying he has succeeded where no other president has 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 been even able to get them uh, to, to the table. Uh, and looking forward to that, which, again, I, I find it hard to believe it's Tuesday, right, coming up so fast. Uh, the president will be on his way there tomorrow. 
And um, but he said yesterday again, uh, this was when he was there with Prime Minister Abe. uh, Don't this is not just going to be which I've been saying it's just going to be a photo op. Here's the president yesterday. This will not be uh, just a photo op. This will be at a minimum. uh, We'll start with perhaps a good relationship. And that's something that's very important toward the ultimate making of a deal. I'd love to say it could happen in one deal. Maybe it can. So he's sort of lowering expectations, <laughs> right? But which is true. It's not all going to happen at one meeting. Absolutely not. And I think that, um, you know, the president's advisors know that and people in the White House know that. But the president has been making such a big deal out of this. He is so focused on this internally. Um, again, because he views this as an opportunity, or I've been told he views this as an opportunity to do something that past presidents have. You know, it's like another form of the pissing match. He wants to do something that his predecessors haven't been able to do. He wants a historic meeting. He wants that good headline. He wants to be seen as like a president who hasn't just presided over uh, a great economy, but also this like foreign policy negotiating guru. Right. Um, It was interesting that yesterday morning uh, in studio, right around this time, um, Stu Eisenstadt was our guest, who was domestic policy advisor for President Carter. I just wrote this monumental book about President Carter. And I asked him what contrast he saw between on the approach to this upcoming summit and Camp David with, with uh, President Carter. Here's, here's the key word, Stu Eisenstadt, yesterday. He's going into a summit with North Korea. The key to Camp David was preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> Boy, you talk about a contrast. Yes, but that's critical. You cannot yes. just go in this for, you know, a handshake. You have to understand the up. person you're dealing with. You have to understand the red lines of the other side and the red lines you want to achieve. You have to really understand the issues. Yeah, what a contrast. Huh? Yeah, a huge contrast. And it'll be so interesting, I think, um, you know, I, I'm so curious to see, like, once the president gets there, you know, is there any moment where it hits him that this the gravitas of the situation? Like, I know that when he first became president, I've been told by you know friends and, and staffers of his that he was very surprised um, once he got in the White House by just the scope of the job and the national mm. security things uh-huh. and really felt out of depth. And it'll be interesting to see if this is if this is one of those moments or if he maintains like his confidence um, in that situation. We have seen an unusual, uh, totally shifting gears, um, an unusual um, character arrive on the scene in Rudy Giuliani, uh, who seems to be talking everywhere he can about anything he can and saying anything he wants, right? Um, So what's Rudy Giuliani's role? How do you assess his role? Is he lawyering or just... Is he just um, another talker, a part of the, a part of the? How does how does Trump see Rudy? I think that he is a talker, but I think in Trump's mind, sort of being a talker and being on TV occupies a higher place in the stratosphere than being a lawyer. Um, mm. You know, Trump. Yeah. Trump, I think, views mm-hmm. lawyers broadly as like people who should clean up his messes. And I think that he even views the White House counsel, Don McGahn, you know, as someone who should just be able to, like, clean up his messes. Whereas I think he views people who go on TV and who defend him and who he views as articulate as, like, peers, you know, people who are really helping out the agenda. And I think that that's how he views Rudy. And you have to remember, you know, the two of them get along pretty well. So they've been... They've known each other forever. Yeah, they've known each other forever. They have, like, a very certain... 
sort of New York 80s view of the world, I would say. And, uh, you know, they talk on the phone. They strategize the two of them without kind of telling anyone what they're going to say and do. And I think the president likes that. Okay, so um, a week or so ago, this stuff happened so fast. Rudy Giuliani came out and said with the Stormy Daniels situation, oh, yeah, Donald Trump knew all about that. And he authorized the payment, and he paid it in $35,000 installments. And everybody said, whoa, wait a minute. Donald Trump said he didn't know anything about it at all. Right. So that was planned ahead of time? Or was Rudy just talking off the top of his head? I don't think that was planned ahead of time. And, you know, we saw this week he stepped in it by... Uh, you know, sort of saying what Melania Trump thought, the White House, um, the, That's the East That's I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. 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 You know, the communications director, Stephanie Grisham, made a point yesterday that Giuliani does not speak for Melania, that he doesn't, they yeah. haven't had conversations. Also, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, made it clear in the briefing yesterday that also Giuliani does not speak for the North Korea negotiations. So he is stepping in it. Right. No, I was going to point that out. This that I, I found unbelievable is that Giuliani said that Melania Trump accepted her husband's denial that he had 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 sex with Stormy Daniels. Quote, Rudy, she believes her husband and she knows it's untrue. Well, he doesn't know that. Right. right? And then and then her, the, her, her, her communications. Her, her yeah. communications director says, quote, that she does. She does. I don't believe Mrs. Trump has ever discussed her thoughts on anything. <laughs> With Mr. Giuliani. <laughs> so Melania is saying, don't speak for me, dude. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But here's the thing about Giuliani. So he like he makes these missteps, but I also feel like sort of the, the amount of noise and the information that he puts out is very strategic in that it just sort of like floods the zone. And so it becomes confusing to keep up with everything he's saying, right. similar to Trump. Well, so then uh, Rudy was in uh, Tel Aviv. Maybe he made this statement in Tel Aviv. Uh, where he he got into <laughs> again the Stormy Daniel stuff and Pete, um, you can walk us through a couple of those. He just <laughs> yeah. So so I got a couple of clips. First of all, is, is where he was talking about how basically you don't have to respect porn stars oh, yeah, when you look right. at Stormy Daniels. Uh, I know Donald Trump and Let's look at his him. look at his three wives, right? <laughs> Beautiful women, classy women. Women of great substance, Stormy Daniels. And, and he went on to sort of talk about, like, there there are women you should respect, and there are women that you don't have to respect. I'm sorry. I don't respect a porn star the way I respect a career woman or a woman of substance or a woman who has great respect for herself as a woman and as a person and isn't going to sell her body for sexual exploitation. So, I mean, I just, I just question how helpful he's being when he goes off on these... Also, That's just like as it. an aside, like, is Rudy Giuliani, you know, the person to be the morality police? Uh, thank you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's just put that out there. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we should talk about all of his wives, right? <laughs> right, or like how he told some of them he was getting divorced to them. I mean, whatever, you know, Giuliani. Uh, that video of him sort of going on and on about Stormy Daniels and digging himself further in the hole is interesting to watch if people have time because the audience reacts in real time very poorly. Mm-hmm. And you can hear a lot of people booing him, you know, and that's not something that that goes over well. And that's why I said earlier, I feel but like, I think you're right in that Donald Trump doesn't care. Right? Oh, I don't think he cares. No. And and I think that Rudy, um, Jonathan Lemuria of the uh, Associated Press had a good piece uh, that ran last night just about how, uh, you know, it took Giuliani from Tel Aviv and Giuliani was basically saying that, 
you know, talking all the time is strategic in a way because part of this special investigation, because Mueller and his team never respond, you know, Giuliani, by just talking all the time about it and sort of laying the yeah, boundaries yeah. out, really is trying to frame the whole thing. Right. And and Mueller is, in a sense, letting him do that. I mean, that's strategic on Mueller's part sure, as well. Right? Sure. But, but Giuliani but, sort of talking... You know, at nauseum yeah. is strategic, and and I feel like that's why we shouldn't discount him as like this clown that's making missteps. I mean, he has said at least three times three different things that Mueller said allegedly in the meeting that they had. Right now, Mueller has never said he's right, he's wrong. Right. I didn't say that. I said this instead. He's just sort of let the field to him, which I think Mueller has to do because if Mueller starts talking like this, then you know right away, right? It would sort of just add fuel to Donald Trump's fire that yeah. Mueller is leaning one way or the other. Right. And Mueller, I think, is just playing the long game of like being very professional. And, you know, when he drops information or when the special counsel, you know, drops investigate or drops indictments, for instance, they're amazing to read. They're very detailed. They tell us stuff we never knew. So, you know, obviously he's working um, in his own way, in his own quiet way. Right. Uh, the president was interesting. He went. Uh, one thing was interesting this week. A little maybe window into his thinking. Um, he went over to FEMA. Most of his cabinet members were there around the table. It, it's a sort of it was supposed to be a briefing about how hurricanes. Hurricanes, and mm-hmm. instead it ends up being a love fest for uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, cabinet and for him. Uh, and everybody got effusive praise until it got to Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Jeff Sessions came last, and it was total of 11 words. Some of the others, CNN counted them up, as you probably saw, like 186 words, I think it was, for Rick Perry or something. Jeff Sessions, 11 words. Well, and he even praised other cabinet secretaries who he has clashed with. Like, he praised, for instance, DHS Secretary uh, Kirsten Nielsen, who he's been having a lot mm-hmm. of clashes with privately mm-hmm. over the the surge so, of uh, I totally forgot at the about border. that. She almost quit. Yeah, she almost yeah. quit yeah. because he just completely he said that she wasn't doing her. a job at the border. He was praising everybody, but, right? But he was praising her a lot yesterday. But the thing is, Sessions so, has been like just a huge problem for him for over a year now. So why doesn't he fire him? I don't think that he likes direct confrontation. One, and he tends not to fire people. He tends just to make their lives miserable. And then, two, I think Sessions has demonstrated that he has a big uh, base among conservatives, which is something that Trump is very attuned to, that conservative base. And when the relationship between Sessions and Trump have gotten dicey before, there have been a bunch of conservative groups, you know, uh, and people on the Hill and Heritage and all these different groups that have come out and basically made it clear that, you know, they think Sessions is doing a great job and they don't want to see him fired. And what is ironic is that Trump is so mad at Sessions primarily because he recused himself from the Russia investigation. But out of all the cabinet secretaries, you know, Sessions is doing what Trump wants at DOJ. He's being tough on immigration. I was going to say, on immigration, yeah. on immigration, he is Trumpier, Trumpier, Trumpier than Trump. Oh, yeah. Know? He's going further on immigration than I yeah. think Trump would even think to go on. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, last night there was the news that— um, you know, the DOJ is investigating uh, leaks. They're investigating the leak of a, a Senate staffer. A Senate staffer was arrested. The arrested one, right. Yeah. Uh, the, there was a seizure of a New York Times reporter, phone and email records going back years. You know, this is something that Trump also wants, like an investigation of leaks. And so, 
it's just ironic that Sessions is like totally carrying out the Trump agenda pretty effectively, like more effectively than other cabinet secretaries. But yet, because he recused himself from the special investigation, Trump cannot get over it and has been furious about this since last March. And it, it, he he must realize, he, the president, must realize, or maybe somebody's told him, that if you do fire Sessions, you're going to have a hard time getting anybody else, anybody else confirmed. Well, and right? also you could make the point, like, you know, he hates Sessions. Okay, so is he going to fire Sessions? Like, how long is Pruitt going to last in the job? Uh, given all of the ethical and spending questions. Uh, you know, there's some unhappiness at the White House with Wilbur Ross, not at the same level. But mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, what who yeah. are you, What are you going to do? You're going to fire half the cabinet uh, right before the midterms? Who are you going to get to put in? And can you actually get people confirmed? That's a big thing. So are you going to Singapore? I'm not, unfortunately. Oh, oh, okay. I wish I was. <laughs> I was say, who better, better let you go so you can pack your bag. Or yeah. right? I think those people are leaving pretty soon because, uh, you know. The, the ones you, that I know are going to Canada and then to Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, a, you know, a lot of reporters who are intensely interested in foreign policy and not interested in trade policy are being dragged to the G7. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, 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 particularly those that are in poor, those are on Air Force One. They don't have any choice. Right. right? They have to go. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going either. There, so you and I can stay home, Brian. Hey, Nancy, so good to see you. Thanks for all your good work. Oh, thanks, thanks so for much for having in. me, Bill. It is Politico, of course, the great Politico, politico.com. And you can follow Nancy Cook and all of our other friends at Politico. And when we come back from Roll Call, our good buddy Jason Dick joins us here in studio, wrapping up on this Friday, June 8th. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, it is Friday, Friday, June 8th. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us today, the Bill Press Show, live from uh, our nation's capital. With all the news of the day, uh, the president just landed at Andrews Air Force Base um, on his way up to the uh, G7 for a a quick, uh, you know, drop in, drop out at the uh, G7 summit. They don't want him there anyhow. And then off to Singapore for the big summit just next Tuesday. Again, live from our nation's capital, brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Yes, the good members of the AFGE who staff and keep our great federal agencies running day in and day out under the leadership of President J. David Cox. Check out their website at AFGE.org, and we uh, salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Welcome to the program. Uh, he's off, you often see him in, sitting in this seat in the big chair, Jason Dick. <laughs> who is the deputy editor at CQ Roll Call and wearing the proud <laughs> Caps shirt today. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're flooded with red today. Here it's, it's, it's a little bit of local color with the Natty Bow guy, Natty with Mr. Bow. And, and, were you and down uh, on uh, 7th Street or uh, F Street last night? For a little bit of time, I rode my bike uh, from, from the office back home through uh, Chinatown and Gallery oh, Place. Man. And it was, it, it was was nutty. It was also a very good time. to You know, there's a farmer's market there on Thursdays by the, by the Portrait Gallery. Very good time to be one of the farmer's market vendors. <laughs> <laughs> like, because, they, I mean, they were... They they obviously had stocked up the beer at Right Proper or Brewing Company, oh, and uh, it man. looks like Timber Pizza, you know, oh, like brought some extra dough. I mean, smart. the lines—it was just—it was insane. It was crazy. 
Oh yeah, oh man, it, and they must have celebrated all night long, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, and I can't help but think that even though the people in Vegas must have been a little bummed, I'm guessing that there was some partying going on in Vegas last night. Well, too. we know, <laughs> we know there was because Cyprian was there. Oh, Cyprian right. was yeah. there, and, and we've already... heard from Cyprian already. He said he didn't, he never, he didn't go to bed at all. He right? sent me a picture of, uh, himself. of course, nobody in Vegas goes to bed anyhow. So <laughs> right, Vegas, he sent me a picture of himself with the Stanley Cup already. Uh, of course. And he says he has not slept yet since last night. And that was um, not not quite an hour ago. Yeah. We sent him out there. We couldn't all make it, so right. we sent Cyprian right. the, uh, the Vegas Bureau of the <laughs> <Lopez> show. <laughs> it's a sacrifice, but, you know. All right. So uh, uh, the president, before he left, uh, they just got off the helicopter at uh, Andrews Air Force Base boarding uh, Air Force One on his way up to Singap- up to Quebec and then on to Singapore. Uh, he had some things to say before he left the White House. Uh, one that he's been preparing. I've been preparing all my life right. for the North Koreans. It's about summer. it's about attitude, as he said yesterday. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even. He, he's like, I'm I'm very well prepared, but I don't need to be prepared. <laughs> it's like I can pardon myself, but I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, he he <laughs> literally said in the same sentence, "I don't feel like I need to prepare," and then says, "I've been preparing for this for a long, long time." Right. Right, yeah. As as a former as a, as a former teacher, a former educator, I can usually tell when somebody has not done their homework. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he. Really, I have my suspicions. Others are saying he's getting he's getting daily briefings. We know what his daily briefings are. He's saying to. many people are saying. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> one piece of paper that he may or may not look at in large print. But uh, he also brags about the fact that he has not prepared and doesn't need to prepare, as he said yesterday, because it's all about yeah, like about attitude. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time, yeah. as has the other side. Preparing for a long time in this morning again. I've been preparing for, I've been preparing for this uh, all my life. Uh, he also said there before he got on the hel- in the helicopter, Marine One, south along the White House, he's a big believer, big believer in freedom of the press. Loves us, loves loves the loves press. Loves us. That's why course, he attacks us so much. Of right? course, I mean the it it does it does start this sort of chicken and egg type thing ab- about. Are we feeding, or is this like oxygen in a fire? Are we feeding this uh, too much? Um, I mean, we, you know, at, at roll call, we try not to take the bait all, all the time, and 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 just, you know, it's it's very easy to just be like, oh my God, can you believe what he just tweeted or said or yeah, did, right. or his lawyers just did? We try to add some context, but it's very difficult. I mean, it, it's uh, it's it can be exhausting because the news just keeps coming, um, and it suggests that there's, you know, we're we're in this sort of Kind of manic period, I think, in <laughs> in, our, in our history. I, you know, last week, I, I, it was this huge contrast. My my wife, uh, Fawn Johnson, Fonge. I, yes, uh, she's been a guest Fonge. of the show. Uh, she and I went to Finland uh, for for a week of vacation, and uh, we, we were in Helsinki. Kind of weird, yeah. It was it was it was awesome. I don't know uh, many people go to Finland for vacation. <laughs> I, why I, not? Why yeah, not? Why, I'd I, love to go to Finland. I randomly I mean. ran into Nita Lowy, the congresswoman from New York. Really? Uh, yeah. Denver. There was a uh, what was she doing? There, there was an Aspen uh, festival, oh, ideas festival there. A Kodel. Uh, yeah, Kodel yeah. uh, about oh. U.S. Russian relations, uh, and you know the, the Finns are. Um, 
according to you know like the all these different people who measure these sort of things uh, they're, they're the happiest people in the world mm-hmm. they're, yes, they're, yes. They're, they're, they're one of the most highly educated they're one of the most literate right uh, I mean it is cold there uh, but in the summer it's great it's 20 hours of, of daylight and it was amazing to be in a place where everything worked <laughs> And then to come back to the United yeah. States, oh, right. it was just this very rude awakening when we or got to the come back to yeah. Washington D.C., well, particularly where nothing worked. Right, and we connected in JFK just to put a punctuation mark on on how dysfunctional things can be oh. with, like, say, TSA and so oh, forth. Or you know, customs. It, yeah, it just. I mean, because oh, yeah. you know, the Finns sort of they they're very self-effacing and they they apologize for everything. I think we waited in line in 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 the, the processing out in the processing out a total of like five minutes, and and. <laughs> That was uh, not the case at JFK. Uh, yeah, uh, tell me about it. And and it's also, embarrassing when right, you come back. I, I would be yeah. come back into the United States. They go to, through customs. It is embarrassing. And you know, you take so... your shoes off and all this crap. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. all, all these things that somehow the rest of the world doesn't seem to have to do. Um, and then also, just the I mean, the the newspapers there and, and the press. You know, they kind of treat things very soberly, and and uh, you know, there's a little bit of stuff about Trump and 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 the news here, but they just seem to be kind of get on with their lives, and it was just a, an amazing contrast, especially with this week. This week has been particularly exhausting, I think, from a uh, news perspective. Well, it has, and uh, put that on a loop for this week, <laughs> next week, week after yeah, that. that. Right, right. <laughs> um, so now we go into this. I mean, the next few days are going to be very interesting because. Starting with this uh, summit up in uh, the G7 in, in Quebec, where mm-hmm. in anticipation of that, he slapped the tariffs on Canada and Mexico and the EU uh, and the members of the EU. So triggering this pretty uh, accurate exchange right. with Prime Minister Trudeau and and his buddy, right, his buddy, the one that he had left, Emmanuel right, Macron, Emmanuel Macron yeah. of France. So they. They said yesterday, in fact, uh, President Macron, who tweeted out yesterday, the, uh, if I can get it, basically, if the president wants to go his own way, we will too. Yeah, he said, quote, the American president may not mind being isolated, but neither do we mind signing a six-country agreement, yeah. if need be. And also, we're, we are bound legally by the agreements we've signed already, you know, in, in the G7 and NATO and NAFTA and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the, the president likes to say, we'll just terminate or walk away from these deals. But there are consequences to that. And, you know, probably the one reason that he has uh, the sort of approval ratings that he has right now is that, you know, the, the economy seems to just be sort of humming along. But if we uh, if we start having to pay a lot more money for say Harley Davidsons, which are you know like uh, have, mm-hmm. have new tariffs on them, and bourbon and washing machines and all this kind of stuff, when all those things start adding up, uh, and and we get into a a big trade war that has major consequences with our biggest trading partners, Canada, Mexico, Britain, France. Uh, I wonder how happy people are going to be with the, with well, uh, regardless of how how well he stirs up passions and and sort of identifies with like people who feel like they've been forgotten. Uh, if their grocery bills are going up, they probably are going to get kind of pissed. Yeah, you know, and I'm not an expert in, in trade wars at all. I don't, I don't pretend to be, but I keep he keeps saying how this is really good for our farmers. These what he's doing, but what I hear from the farmers is. No, it's not. No. <laughs> because we want to sell our right. apples or our cheese or soy whatever beans, it is, soybeans, corn, wheat right. to other countries. And we have and we are and we have all these global clients now. And if they have to pay a tariff 
in response to Donald Trump's tariffs on those countries, if they put tariffs on our products, we're not going to be able to sell. Well, uh, just, just a small example. So Iowa, you know, is, is one of those states that, like, Democrats, like, when when they were winning, you know, elections and, and like, assembling coalitions, that was a big part of it, right, because there's a big labor presence um, it's it's an overwhelmingly white state, uh, but it also has a, a history of populism. So, like the, you know, Trump was able to to um, to win the state, and and has like sort of overwhelming, uh, you know, approval ratings there. Well, you know, it's it's it has one Democrat in the congressional de- delegation now. So, Iowa is like our, one of our bigger farm states. They sell a lot of soybeans to China. They want to sell more corn to Mexico as part of NAFTA, so because there's a lot of Coca-Cola that gets manufactured mm. uh, in 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 Mexico, and they want the uh, they they want the sweetener to be high fructose corn syrup as opposed to sh- mm. cane sugar, and so like the, these are you know that's a very unsexy like sort of breakdown of just you know two aspects of a gigantic agricultural state. And people like even the the president's like big supporters, people you know, senators Joni Ernst and and Chuck Grassley, they're not happy when they're going home and getting an earful from from uh, farmers who are saying like, hey, what you know, who's going to buy all these soybeans? You know, who's? I mean, like at a certain point, you know, it, the 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 goods start to stack up because we don't have enough people to buy all that stuff. Right. So um, so we'll see. It's going to be a little frosty reception, certainly, um, in Canada. And he's going to leave early. And to, he's going to, to leave early, uh, further insulting, because he doesn't want to be there for any talk about climate change, and he doesn't want to be there for any talk about the oceans or anything. Right. And then off he goes to Singapore, where he has put so many months of preparation. Right. His whole life. <laughs> His whole life he's been preparing for this. But um, the one thing that he said uh, yesterday, uh, people are saying, some people, uh, Bill Richardson said this, I've said this, that it looks like it's just going to be a giant photo op. Not so, says uh, the president yesterday. This will not be uh, just a photo op. This will be, at a minimum, uh, we'll start with perhaps a good relationship, and that's something that's very important toward the ultimate making of a deal. I'd love to say it could happen in one deal. Maybe it can. You know, it, it, that, and Nancy Cook told us in the last half hour, it really, with him, as we saw this with President Xi of China, too, and President Abe yesterday, it's all like, he just likes to get along with people, right? It's right. almost personal chemistry. Right. They can eat chocolate cake. They can play golf. Maybe get two scoops of ice cream. Two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> Everything's yeah. good. And and the it's a, it's a weird. Well, and it's, it's not very deep. And the way you know diplomacy typically works is you know you have the lower level aides start the discussion and mm-hmm. they and they get like the you know the the small brush you know out of the way they clear the brush yeah. and you start you keep on moving up towards until you get to those principles then you bring the principles who can come yes. in and and they and they don't have to worry about the details they can just shake hands and be like all right we're we're great you know like i mean trump doesn't drink but they can be like we can get a beer or we can do this whatever right. so the question that i think a lot of people have that i certainly wonder about is so you have the you're, you're starting with with the two principles. I guess you know Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, when he was CIA director, yeah. uh, went went there, and then shortly after he was sworn in as Secretary of State. I mean, you have that that level already. But the who is going to negotiate the nitty gritty? I mean, the State Department's been taking heavy losses in terms of uh, career you know employees and and not bringing in new new people to do the grunt work uh, to do the you know the. I mean, how how. How great would the show be if if we didn't have 
three other yeah. people producing it right now. Right. If it was just right. me and you, I mean, like we need to get you know, you literally need to keep the lights on in in a, in a certain way. I mean, it's not obvious that the there are those level that there's the level of diplomats and bureaucrats to do that like low level work. I mean, John Bolton apparently is not. You know, he hasn't convened one meeting in the National Security Council or something. You know, it's, some, it's something crazy or, or, or about North Korea, about North yeah, Korea. Right. So, so, I mean, this is kind of at a certain point, somebody does need to actually get down to the details of it. And I mean, Trump has said he's not a big details guy. Right. Now, he, I thought an interesting thing that he said yesterday uh, in the Rose Garden there was, um, OK, here's a little sign that things are not going well. There's a word. There's a phrase. So he's telling us, if you hear me use this phrase, uh, <laughs> Peter, we have that clip of, uh, if you hear me use this phrase, then you know that's a sign um, that uh, things are going south. If you hear me saying we're going to use maximum pressure, you'll know the negotiation did not do well, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to play play poker <laughs> with this guy? Say, man. Well, he's the world's worst card player. Like, like, I mean, that, how great would it be to be like, wow, this guy just told me his tell, right? That's <laughs> it. That's it. <laughs> That's is, it. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you hear him say those two words, you know. That <laughs> if I scratch my nose, that means I'm nervous. <laughs> remember when he oh, he always used to say, "Oh, there he is. Uh, Air Force One has now taken off. He's on his way to the uh, G7." He used to say about with Obama, you don't tell them ahead of time what you're going to do. <laughs> Remember that whole thing? Right. 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 Uh, just, you just, you just bomb them. You don't tell them ahead of time right. that you might bomb them or something. So here you say, well, you hear me use this phrase. Otherwise, I mean, thankfully, he has like <laughs> you know stepped back from talking about bombing North Korea and and yes, I mean like yes, an, annihilating yes. it and so forth. I mean, like I I would rather just hear a bunch of BS about like how great things are going if it just means status quo, uh, as opposed to we're going in like with with half a million troops. You know, I mean, like that that would be all right. Like I guess I don't even need to update my will anymore. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to be pointless at this point. Um, I mean, you know, the, the the people I you know I at at CQ and roll call. You know, like I'm I'm really blessed with working with a lot of really sharp, intelligent, you know, people who know like know their military history, know their diplomatic you know protocols and all this kind of stuff. And they're, you know, kind of on pins and needles. It makes it make that makes me nervous. You know, when when you see yeah. the people who don't get nervous get nervous. That's, I mean, it's like what? I mean, part of it is they just don't know what's going to happen. And then he did say yesterday that, um, yeah, I probably, I, I might, I might very well invite him to the White House, and I think that would be well received. Um, you know, as we point out, let's not lose track of who this guy is. Right, right. this is a guy who ordered the murder of his half-brother, the right. murder of his uncle, who who left his people starving. Starves his people, yeah. So he could put all the money into these missiles and blow these missiles. I mean, see, let's not suddenly try to say he's a nice guy. No, you know? and, and, you know, and again, like the, the I, again, the... The CIA, all all the all the people who you know are are professionals at this and and trying to figure out like exactly what to monitor and what to do. I mean, they're still on the job. I mean, I actually have some some like I rest a little easier knowing that somebody like Gina Haspel, who seems like a hard bitten operative, is actually running the CIA right now because there's there's a no BS component I think to to her running. I mean, on a moral level, we can talk about we can talk about. Yeah, that. I was going to say she's but, own, she's torturing her right, employees, right, right. But, but but like it, waterboarding it, the staff who it, don't agree with her. It but, is. You know. 
Uh, is that any different than the, like what goes on here? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but who among us hasn't waterboarded a subordinate? Right. You know, um, Bill. <laughs> Poor Ray. She Too, didn't real. Take it well right. Too real. Too <laughs> real. Uh, but but I am heartened a little bit that there are still some professionals on the job uh, yeah. who who are looking out for this because it it, it just may, it does make me a little nervous to know that you know th- this. They basically like they destroyed a, a movie studio. I mean, like you know the the North Koreans, you know, with 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 the hack, the like oh, yeah. Sony emails. I mean, like that that seems like a little like small potatoes when you're talking about starvation and genocide and so forth. But like think about how much how much yep. security is involved in like an entertainment company, a multi billion dollar entertainment company, and they hacked it and like you know basically destroyed it. It's like Sony is is now. You know, kind of trying to pick up the pieces. I mean, uh, that's the, that's a big economic thing. The good old days when Barack Obama had to comment on Seth Rogen's <laughs> movie oh. career. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that and tan suits. We'll, that, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, when we had the uh, bandwidth to get freaked out about that type of stuff. We have not had a chance to talk yet today about. Um, I'm sure you'll have something to say about it. That's a story that just just really pisses me off today, and that is this poor pizza delivery guy up in. Uh, yeah. New York, uh, yeah. In the, if I forget what borough, but so here's a guy. He's got his family and the two little kids, and he's working, right? He's really, and and he's delivered pizza many times to this army base. And this one guard, he says, "Show your ID." He shows his ID, and he says, "I want to know. I want to see your driver's license, right. papers, please." Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, this is one guy, and they do this background check and find out that he had been picked up by ICE some time ago and told he should leave the country, and he didn't. And so now he's in, now he's in, holding him and probably going to. Be, he's got a hearing coming up, and they'll probably deport him, break up his family, bust up his family. It's just it's, it is so senseless, and it's going on. It it this seems, got some attention for right. but this is going on every single day right. Right. around the country, and particularly at the border. And they're getting away with it. And um, I mean, you can't tell me we're any safer today because the pizza delivery guy is in jail. No, and it it, it does seem to. It's very easy to, to portray this as simply just cruelty. I mean, just just it like is. sort of I, subjective cruelty. Yeah, I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't. I mean, like that doesn't seem to. Um, yes, was he was he breaking the law? Certainly, uh, as as I did multiple times when I walked across a red light, you know, on the on the way to, to yeah, you know walking right. from my house to the studio yeah. this morning. I mean, you can pick people up for any number of like tiny you know <laughs> violations, um, but it, it it just it it seems to be that the default mode is to be as as cruel as possible uh, with some of these like procedures, like separating you know like jailing. All adult immigrants who cross the border and and putting their kids, you know, in like and you these, know abandoned WalMarts and stuff like that. No, I mean, and these just, kids it, are living it, it, in these detention centers yeah. down there without their parents, and some of them are there, you know, two three days yeah. or whatever. God knows, living in what conditions, and it's just well, and you it, know, it is absolute cruelty. And another another thing that seems like you know kind of bizarrely but, subjective and cruel is you know the, the there was the news last night that. The Justice Department is not going to defend the Affordable Care Act's provisions that that guarantee that you can you know you'll be covered regardless you know regardless of mm. pre-existing conditions. I mean, oh, yeah. it just seems like what I mean th- that that's an action that somebody had to take and say yes, we're going to do this. We're going to make it more difficult for people uh, who who may be sick or injured or you know wouldn't be able to get insurance otherwise to to get health insurance. And it it's really difficult to I mean when you when you 
certainly there's a, you know, you can talk about markets and how premiums are up and so forth, but that's basically what it comes down to is that like this will make it more difficult for people to get health insurance, which is just, again, default, oh, yeah. default cruelty. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Going it's, out of their way. Right. Somebody had to affirmatively say, we're going to do this. We're going to try to make sure that, like, this aspect of the Affordable Care Act will not be enforced. All right. So you're deputy editor of Roll Call. You know what's going on in Washington. Why does Scott Pruitt still have a job? You know, the uh, my favorite headline of this yesterday was from this guy Dave Pell, who does this this uh, newsletter called Next Draft, and his was slow lotion train wreck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> Be, no. Well, explain that because so, because he, the latest he, he, thing yeah, he, he was sending somebody right. out. Right, we were, I was just I was just sort of digesting the the Politico story about uh, how he had gone to the White House mess so much yes. that, they, that they'd said like please you, you don't yeah. come here so often you right. know like he was thrown out of the White House mess because he was such a freeloader there because, because, every, he would go to lunch there every day <laughs> yes. so so I was just digesting that and then a, a colleague of mine sent the 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 lotion thing where he was asking his his twenty four hour security detail mm-hmm. to go around you know the the city and and try to find this. More Moisturizing lotion. His you can favorite, only get it at the Ritz Carlton. His favorite moisturizing <laughs> lotion. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is getting weird now, right? I mean, like used mattresses and Chick Fil A and you know, like lotion. I mean, it's just like every uh, day. There's another Scott Pruitt story, and, and it's also it's just so such low level corruption. Yeah, you know, it's just so tacky. You know, I mean, I, and I think Good that that's. I mean, he is. He's such a low life. It's it's a weird. You know, when when you think about like that level of corruption. I mean, it, it one. It sort of obscures the fact of that that he's what he's doing on a policy level, which you know is yeah, is, just a, is disaster. But but like the you know to be somebody who is asking your security guards to go find awesome lotion for you, it's just like it's creepy. Is it Lubriderm? Do we know what lotion he likes? <laughs> or Nivea? I don't know. You can get that yeah, at CVS, yeah, right? Yeah, right? right. I you have to go all the way up. Yeah, right across the street to CVS. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. All right. Hey, that's it. Into the weekend we go, right? <laughs> Into the weekend we go, Bill. All right. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll be here Monday, and we'll be looking for you. Jason, take it. Roll call. This roll call. is the CQ Bill roll call. Show. Com. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.